0: Welcome, you are listening to Mullis Legal's Diversity Dialogue. Mullis Legal is
1: the proud sponsor of the Mullis Legal Award for Diversity as part of the 2017 Property Council, Ryder, Levitt, Bucknell Innovation and Excellence Awards. We are committed to supporting and promoting diversity and inclusion in the legal profession as well as within the industries with which we collaborate. This is why we are holding the Diversity Dialogue. We would also like to give a special thanks to the Property Council of Australia for their support in these podcasts. They have exceptional initiatives to support diversity and inclusion in the property
0: industry, so go check them out at propertycouncil.com.au. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Muleless Legal Diversity Dialogue. My name is Alexandra Gillen and I'll be your host for today. I'm a lawyer with Muleless Legal's Dispute Resolution Team in Brisbane. One of the biggest parts of the diversity and inclusion debate in Australia is really around how to attract, hire and maintain a diverse workforce, and this debate inevitably includes some discussions around unconscious bias and often some uncomfortable personal reflections on our own beliefs and attitudes. Our guest today is perfectly placed to provide some advice and some really unique insights on these issues. Gemma Lloyd is the co-founder and director of Client Engagement at Diverse City Careers. Diversity Careers is Australia's only job board that selects companies based on their internal policies and culture, and specifically on whether or not they've created a female-friendly workplace. It really is a jobs board for women. Gemma has built a business around her commitment to support women in the workplace, and we're very lucky to have her on the podcast today. Gemma, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So before I kind of launch into our topic for today, which is obviously in uh, in recruitment and uh, encouraging diversity within organisations, can you give me a bit of your background and let me know what made you decide to start diversity careers? Yeah, sure.
1: So um, I spent about 10 years in IT and telecommunications, which is an industry very underrepresented by women. And throughout that time, I worked for some really awesome companies and I worked for some to be honest, archaic boys clubs, and I wish I had known what they were like before I started. And then I joined the board for Females in Technology and Telecommunications, and I met all these other women who had gone through the exact same thing as me, and I was like, oh, totally there was a job site we could go to where we knew they were only really supportive companies. And that's essentially where the idea of diverse city careers came about um, to only advertise companies that are truly committed to supporting women. So we're a job platform, not an agency. So companies advertise with us directly, applications go straight through to them. But the, tr- the key is really that pre-screen process they have to go through to advertise.
0: And what is that? Um, what does that process involve? How do you kind of determine what's a female-friendly workplace? Sure. So the
1: process has been developed over a couple of years and it's based off reviewing literally hundreds of company policies, consultation with industry experts, also interviewing uh, women around what they're looking for in a workplace. And we go through about 25 questions with the employer and we look at things like uh, parental leave policies, flexible working, we look at domestic violence policies Are they proactively trying to get more women into leadership roles, their mentor programs. We look at a whole, whole range of things and we actually weight each of those questions differently depending on the priority which we've uncovered from speaking to women.
0: And is there an area that you're finding that these companies are particularly strong, you know, kind of consistently seeing, for example, in flexible work, they're all kind of doing it and they're doing it quite well. And is there an area that you're really noticing a lack of of attention to? To be honest, I think it's
1: different across every company. So every company at the moment is talking about flexible working, but it is one thing to have a policy box and it's another thing to actively support flexible working. So nine times out of ten, what I see within organisations and particularly around Flex is that it comes down to the line manager, not the organisational policy. So we actually have developed another accreditation, which is even a deep dive specifically into Flex, and only some companies are awarded with that. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we see some companies doing really well is around the parental leave. So making sure it's gender neutral parental leave. There's one company called Zendesk, they're an IT company. They've got more men on parental leave than women at the moment which is absolutely awesome because at the end of the day, you need to make it perfectly okay for guys to do the at-home stuff to make it equal for women in the
0: workplace. Okay, that's really interesting. And so what are some of the kind of flexible work policies? Because there's lots of different options. There's kind of work from home and there's work, you know, part-time and there's, um, you know, remote and there's all these different kind of options for flexible work. What are you seeing are the most either popular or the most effective for maintaining women in the workplace? Mm -hmm. Well, I
1: think... What it comes down to with flexibility is the companies that are breaking down the stereotype of flex is just for (laughs) mums, so they actually support everyone. That's where it works really well, so when you've got the 40-year-old white man leaving work early to go and pick up his children, everybody is working really, really well. And organisations focusing on outcomes-based work rather than time spent at a desk as well, so making sure they're measuring the outcomes properly. Like you said, there are all different types of flex. So you've got job sharing, you've got work from home, you've got compressed hours. What's important to realise is that different types of flexibility will work differently for different people. And it's not a one size fits all approach. So just because working from home works really well for someone else, it doesn't mean it's gonna work really well for, you know, Jane. You know, she may prefer her compressed hours and actually want to come into the office. Uh, So it's about identifying that. ACOM, which is an engineering firm, they've done a really good job. Um, They've actually taken start and finish times out of their company contracts. (laughs) They've got a rule It says if it works for the client, if it works for the team, and if it works for you, it works for us. And you just basically come and say, this is how I expect it to work, you lay it all out and they tick it off and say yes. But it's up to you to really sort of define how it's going to work for everyone.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, so it really does come down to that kind of manager-employee relationship. So how can organisations, I guess, who want to, particularly large organisations who want to you know, improve uh, their workplace and, and make it more female-friendly... You know, they may have their their policy about flexible work, but if it comes down to the managers and the, and the individuals, what would you recommend organisations do to really make sure that those policies are working effectively at a manager-employee level? Mm, they need to be
1: coaching the managers and really supporting the managers to support the employee. Um,
0: yeah, so that kind of education of... of that thinking, I can imagine, it would be very challenging for some organisations.
1: It is, and what I've seen some law firms do is actually roll out flexible working in particular sort of departments or under partners that are a bit more progressive in that area so that then the other ones can see, oh, well, it is actually working. Their productivity is actually increased, and using that as a case study to then take to them, it's really hard to sort of switch it around.
0: That makes sense kind of intuitively, but I'd not really kind of thought of that, that idea of that compartmentalised implementation, so. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Because
1: it is a big mindset shift. And I think the other shift that we need to make is that flexibility isn't a reward. Because quite often you see, okay, that person's performing really well we're going to give them some flexible working it isn't a reward it's a way of work mm-hmm. and so everybody should be entitled to that.
0: Okay that's really interesting what made you you kind of mention you came from an IT background I know that's very male dominated so was it really just identifying that gap in the market that got you interested that kind of need for a women's based job board? Yeah it came from
1: personal experiences and a place of I guess somewhat frustration mm-hmm. so I worked at a company, and I thought it was great before I joined, and then as soon as I joined, I would find myself, you know, sitting in the office on my own while all the guys would be out having beers together mm-hmm. on a Friday, or you know, I'd walk into a meeting and the client would say to me, oh. Who am I meeting with today? Are you? You're the one I'm meeting with, and I'm like, yes, I'm here to talk about the technical solution. And they're like, what? You know. And then as soon as we got into the conversation, they're just like, okay, she knows what she's talking about.
0: Yeah, I've had that at a few events. It's <laughs> it's kind of trying to be complimentary, but it's like, oh, you do know what you're talking about, and going, of course I That's do. True. I know. And the thing was like, that, that okay,
1: that, those things happen, right? But I went back to my managers and I said. What should I do? They said, don't do anything. Don't say anything. Take it because you can't annoy the client. I have a fundamental problem with that. I really do. You know, we should be pushing back and, you know, sticking up for ourselves. And when your manager doesn't even support it. But like on the flip side, like I mentioned, you know, I have worked in companies and software companies where it was a mix of men, women genders you know everybody was included and accepted and it's like about elevating those companies so that they get the best talent and then leaving the rest um, you know to suffer and everyone hopefully leave.
0: <laughs> so that, that's, that's really interesting that idea of like the diverse workforce and I'm, I'm curious about why diversity careers kind of focused on women's issues and female friendly and do you have any plans to include say age diversity or race diversity um LGBTIQ diversity at some point or is your is your focus on gender diversity
1: well at the moment it's on gender and there's a very specific reason why it's on gender i mean women are 50 percent of the population and if we can't even get that right i'm do fear that we will struggle more in other areas but in saying that what we find is the companies that are very supportive of women and have these really inclusive environments it just organically starts including age and lgbti and indigenous so a lot of the companies that we work with not only do they have women's programs they'll have indigenous programs and age programs cba is a great example of that disability programs Um, The other thing was, from a business perspective, we didn't want to confuse the market. So for me being in the diversity space, I get it. I get all the different areas of diversity. But if you're talking to Jane down the street, you're not going to talk to Jane about this company is really diverse and inclusive. You're going to say they offer parental leave, flexible working, all this stuff and sort of relate to Jane rather than the diversity discussion.
0: Okay. All right. Diversity Careers works with uh, with a range of different kind of industries as well in, in different areas. Uh, are there industries that you've noticed are um, particularly on the front foot with diversity issues or is it really down to a company company?
1: Yeah, I think it's really down to the company. Um, I do see a lot of good things happening in the tech space, even though the tech space has a really, really long way to go. We do see the tech space in particular, I guess, really value diversity because it's a very innovative space, you know, and they value creativity, different minds coming together from different backgrounds to create a solution. So we find those companies are a bit more forward than, for instance, like a property you know, type sector. Uh, but in saying that, it does come
0: down to the individual organisation. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've noticed the real push in kind of STEM um, areas. They're mm. very keen to get, you know, young women, more women in university programs. And in um, I come from a family of science teachers and uh, wow. trying to encourage women to do physics and chemistry. And, and that's starting young. You know, organisations and universities working with, with children in high school to try and get that increased push, mm. um, particularly in an area like STEM where you've got a real skills basis there. It's difficult to come to a science or tech from as a career change because it requires so much background knowledge. So That's
1: true, but in saying that, I have seen some really cool programs. So there was a program called the Develop Her program where it was a paid internship basically for women sort of mid-career to swap careers into development. And that was run by MYOB, the accounting software company, and they partnered with someone else to do it. And by the end of that, they had these women who, yeah, picked up, Coding, you know, and, and now working full time in their company, and I felt like that was very innovative. But you're absolutely right, it does start from a very young age, and we're running a series of events at the moment called Superhero Daughter Day. So we've got about 100 primary school girls coming in learning how to code, so trying to break that gender stereotype because stereotypes start from the age of about six
0: years old. Mm. Yeah, I've noticed um, Diversity Careers are very active in events. I'm actually looking forward to one of your Brisbane events <laughs> at the end of April. So is that kind of community engagement, I guess, continuing the discussion an important part of, of what you do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yes, at our call we're a job side, but a big part of what we do is around the community. It's supporting the individual women and raising that awareness and doing different topics like personal branding, confidence building, overcoming career limiting thoughts, um, it's important that we all sort of, I guess, share these stories. I know when I was going through particular things, it's quite a lonely feeling and you don't know if anyone else is experiencing the same as you have. And By getting up and talking about being vulnerable and then how you sort of overcame that and now you're really confident, I think it sort of helps other women and (laughs) the amount of times I go to these things and women were like, oh my gosh, I experienced the exact same thing as you have. Yes, I was told to go and get the coffee and take the notes when I should have been in there talking about the technicalities of this thing, you know, so um, yeah, yeah, it's good to talk about it.
0: Yeah, and I think particularly in like the property industry as well. A lot of the people I talk to are are in very male-dominated areas. Sometimes it's just nice to talk to a woman about these issues and just go, yes, we experience the same thing, have those same struggles, and just kind of commiserate a little bit about (laughs) about some of the struggles. I think it's quite nice.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, I mean, I wish I had known these things when I was at university because you're not going to believe this, but I actually started doing property development at uni.
0: And
1: my first classes were construction classes. And I quit because they were all guys and I was the only girl in my class. Every time I go into class, I felt really intimidated. Yeah. And um, so I ended and then ended up in t- IT, go figure, another <laughs> male-dominated industry. Don't know how that happened. Um, but I wish I'd known now what I knew then to sort of stick at it, because there are these amazing companies doing really supportive things.
0: How are you seeing the kind of, the diversion of, the organisation-led diversity um, improvements versus individual-led. So, you know, women standing up and saying, look, it's not my role to get the coffee and I'm, I'm not going to do that. I mean, there's—is there is it a real balancing act for women to kind of get that organisational change and also... Mm-hmm you know, assert themselves, demand that place at the table where they should, how are you finding that?
1: It is definitely a balancing act. First and foremost, I want to make it clear that I do think it is 100% responsibility of the employer to make sure that they are setting up a culture of inclusion, they are paying everyone equally, they are supporting women as much as they are supporting men. That's first. But second of all, I do think women could do more individually to also step up to the table, as you mentioned. From personal experience, When I was very early on in my career, it took me about two years to sort of really go, right, I'm not putting up with this any longer, I'm gonna push back. And as soon as I did push back, it was so freeing, you know, and people started taking me seriously and looking at me differently. But I was so insecure, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I can't do this, they're older, they're men, you know, should I really talk up? Is it okay they're doing this? no it's not okay but you sort of have all these thoughts in your mind and you it's about pushing back politely as well because you don't have to go and hell no what are you doing you know you can just say do you know what can you go and get your own coffee I'm really busy with the work here and just starting doing those sorts of things yeah
0: Yeah. Well, some of the feedback I've had from um, some of the women I've been talking to at these events is also that they've been surprised at the reaction they get when they do I mean a lot of the times the colleagues that they're talking to don't even realize Mm -hmm. that it's an issue and then once they've kind of mentioned you know, that that comment or that um, what you've asked me to do is not appropriate, that's not within my job or, or whatever, they've found that the, their colleagues have been very receptive to be like, I'm sorry, I didn't even realise that that was an issue and I didn't realise that I was doing that. And they kind of get very apologetic and in, in a lot of instances, they're like, oh, OK, maybe I need to look at my own conduct. And so that that's really heartening to me is this kind of idea of, you know, people do want to do the right things. It's just a matter of letting them know what that is and what that exactly. looks like. So. Exactly.
1: And organisations can also do things like roll out unconscious
0: bias training,
1: for instance, Mm -hmm. to make people aware of biases that they might have and then the actions that they take due to those biases. Mm.
0: Is that something you've seen a lot of organisations doing as training? Not a
1: lot, but it's getting there. The one thing that I would like to see with organisations doing unconscious bias training is not these one-off workshops it has to have regular reinforcements. So it's all well and good to come in and tell everyone, this is what it is. And they all go, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize. And then they go back to work and then they sort of forget about it. So it's about reinforcing You know unconscious bias exists all the time and i know i'm going back to zendesk which is an it company but they have a quote about unconscious bias and around their office you know sort of remind people
0: and is there a level that that um training is more effective at is that or does that need to be rolled out across the organization
1: Mm, at a minimum it needs to be in recruitment teams and leadership teams um but it should be of
0: power across the entire organization So what are you kind of seeing in terms of the effect that the size of an organisation has on their diversity policies? Yeah, that is a
1: really good question and a challenging one because I think it's just, it depends on the company's commitment, you know, like it's not the size. So companies like CBA they have all of these amazing programs they're doing a really good job they have the resources to do it but then I've seen other companies at their size try and do these things and they're just there's no real genuine commitment so it's not getting any legs so it all comes down to the leadership's ability to or to Willingness and, willingness to, and yeah to, to implement it and drive the change and not leaving it down to oh we have a diversity manager and they can do everything you know for each of the business leaders to take it on as part of their responsibility that's where I see the change happening so it's not necessarily down to the size of the resources it's down to the genuine commitment. Mm. And it doesn't matter what size you are or how much resources you have. I think that there are, even if you're very limited on resources, there are definitely things that you can do to make sure that you have an inclusive culture and making sure, you know, if you're sitting around a table and you see that Jane is getting interrupted by John, that you sort of call out that behaviour as you see
0: it. All business owners usually are the, um, you know, they're, they're everything in their business. They're the marketing manager, mm-hmm. they're, the, you know, they're the the sales and market research and, and HR. Is there something that you're kind of seeing that they can can do really effectively is it that is it more that just kind of day-to-day standing up or is it a more kind of formal policy what what do you see working for small businesses
1: well there's there's a great example they're called the it's a company called the yield and they're an internet of things agriculture technology company
0: okay, okay so
1: <laughs> basically they have like sensors and oyster farms and things like that in tasma it's super cool like super technical and they are a software development company they are 50 50 men and women they're 30 staff they've got they're very Technical people, and but they've made a conscious effort, and they've got I don't even remember how many cultures they have in their organization, but all different cultures, all different ages. But they've made a conscious effort to make sure that whoever they're bringing in contributes to the culture and isn't a culture fit so really being mindful of not just judging someone based off oh they're like me you know just thinking what are the person skills or what are they going to bring mm-hmm. um, and making sure in team meetings that everyone's included so they don't necessarily have these formal policies they're just genuinely good people that are genuinely passionate about it and get the benefits of it
0: yeah well that idea of having diversity of thought in your management i mean one of the issues that you know i've kind of seen in recruitment is that we tend to hire people that are like us you know it's that culture fit usually means somebody who's just like you because that's who you get along with that's who you can imagine going out for drinks with and stuff but then you miss out on the benefits of of having different um thoughts um so that's really interesting that that's kind of come across at at a at a whole organization level of actually actively seeking diversity of thought in the in the employees definitely definitely
1: and you raise a good point there around the interview so it's really important that your interview panel is gender balanced it's not just you know the 40 year old guy just sitting there every time because he's more likely to then hire the 40 year old white guy
0: yeah so is that something you work with organizations as well as kind of in their recruitment processes and improving those? Yeah, we certainly, so we
1: don't sort of proactively work with them. But when we're doing our review process of the organisation, those are things that we look at, and then we give them feedback based on that. We also often hold events, particularly for the corporate sector as well, to ensure that they're learning about these things. We also started doing a series of roundtables with diversity and HR managers. And it was absolutely amazing because it got all these diversity managers together to share what's working well and what's what not working well and the different challenges that they're having and things like that. So we do connect a lot of people together to, to drive that change.
0: Yeah. What was some of the, the feedback that they had?
1: It was just it was all so, so mixed because... You've got Abby Wright from Oricon.
0: She's actually we interviewed her for one of our podcasts.
1: Oh, did She's amazing, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. So you've got Abby, who
1: feels incredibly supportive and has implemented all of these incredible changes over, particularly the last sort of 12 months within, in Oricon. They've seen a big shift in yes. the mindset. And then you'll see someone come along from, you know, healthcare going, oh my God, no one gets it. help. And it's all very, very different, but The point is, Abby was amazing in sharing the journey that Oricon's been on to change that mindset and get people to realise the
0: benefits. Mm, Yeah, and from what she said, they've seen a lot of kind of improvement in that area. And so we talked in that podcast about um, this idea of sitting around and kind of head nodding before you actually do anything um, and how that, that being an important part of the process to get everyone on board and realise that it is an issue?
1: That's right. And, you know, the reason with Diversity Careers, I mean, the thing, the reason why we turn down companies from advertising with us is because we want to see them having it right internally before they're attracting more women inside because it's not about numbers. It's about inclusion first and foremost, and it's all well and good to have more women so diversity is one thing inclusion is another thing Mm -hmm. we want to see the inclusion and then the diversity right yeah so that's really really important that you have everybody on board before you start getting more
0: women in. Yeah, that's an interesting kind of half of the conversation that I think sometimes get missed, um, particularly articles I read on LinkedIn kind of talk about all of this diversity and focus a lot on the recruitment processes, but ignore that and then what, you know, once Mm. they're in. So it's great to hear that that's kind of what you guys are uh, focused on is the get that sorted (laughs) and then let's talk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, and even like the
1: companies that advertise with us, some of them, uh, particularly in like engineering or mining firms, They don't advertise roles in particular divisions they know are really bad. They want, yes, they want diversity across the board, but they're like, no, we're going to sort those out first. And then once they're sorted out, then we'll put the women, we'll start attracting more women and making it more balanced. But the last thing they want to do is put women into an uncomfortable environment.
0: Well, and frequently they've kind of gotten to that place as a result of a certain mindset. So you're not going to put more women in and that's going to change. You need to change the mindset first. And that's something that's really interesting in the context of the gender pay gap issue is that a lot of the organisations we've talked about are really proactively trying to address that issue. You know, is that a requirement that um, the organisations you work with have that sorted before they get listed? Or That is one of the questions and we do
1: weight that and take that in co- into consideration. So... With pay equity, there's only 106 CEOs listed on the pay equity ambassador list for the workplace gender equality agency and 106, if you think about how many companies there are in Australia, just is not good enough, right? Um, We do see um, a lot of companies addressing pay equity. ACOM came out the other week and said that they did a review across all of their employees, they noticed a gap, they've told their employees there is a gap, and now they've openly said, okay, we are rectifying it. So brave. Can you imagine coming out and going, Jane, look, for the last five years, you've been actually getting paid less than Bob. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a scary thing to do, but they're owning it and they're fixing it. Uh, QIC, so Glenn Jackson was speaking yesterday, he's the HR director at QIC. They identified a gender gap, and then they actually fixed it in one year. Wow. In the first remuneration cycle, they fixed it, and a lot of companies go, oh, well, we're setting some budget, you know, so over the next five years, we should have it closed. They've gone, no, nah, that's it. It's fixing right now. So there's really, really no excuse to doing it. If you're serious about it, you know, fix it. But it's you do need to make an investment with you know, getting the data and really, you know, it it, it can be a bit of a process, but absolutely it's worth
0: it. Mm. And some of the discussion I've seen around the issue of pay um, or gender pay discrepancies, I guess, has been this idea of pay transparency. Mm. Um, And I've seen that a lot, particularly on LinkedIn articles about this idea that companies should should let their employees know. I'm not too sure what my views on that are. I'm still kind of developing it. So I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on, on that idea of tr- transparency and gender pay.
1: Yeah, well, I see a lot of tech startups with uh, pay transparency and it works really, really well. And all the feedback from the employees is that it's really good. They feel fairly treated because they understand where everybody sits. And by having pay transparency, it also means there's not going to be any of that, I guess, favoritism that shouldn't shouldn't be there. You know, the manager is gonna be held accountable because people can see, you know, what others are getting paid. So I do think it's a good thing.
0: Okay. Yeah. You've touched on an interesting issue there of kind of accountability for, I guess, gender issues and, and or diversity issues. Um, is that something that you're seeing organisations focus on, like specific, you know, KPIs or performance review targets, I guess, that are based on their diversity behaviour or performance? Yeah. Some um,
1: organisations are implementing particular like bonuses and reward programs for, you know, making sure they're diverse they're uh, hiring diverse and putting particular women into leadership or things like that. I think that is really, really good. Um, You should be uh, rewarded for that. Um, If it is just a thing like, oh, we want more diverse and there's nothing really sort of driving it, there's no carrot and there's no stick, then what's the real incentive? You know, sometimes it can just be easier for that hiring manager to not look at the bigger picture, the long term, and just look at, okay, right now I need help. Just, just hire. Like we've got ten guys apply. Just I need someone out to help. They're not looking at the big, term, the longer term picture, the profitability of the company, and the value of having you know diversity within their team. So I do think you need either a carrot or a stick essentially mm-hmm. to drive it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and that idea of companies having you know targets or performance reviews quite closely linked to this idea of quotas. And I know there's a lot of um, debate around whether quotas are good or bad, I know some people are very against them from a kind of it should be a merits-based process. What's your kind of view on <laughs>
1: that? <laughs> if everything was currently based on merit, you'd basically be saying that men are way better than women because there's such an imbalance. So it hasn't been based on merit, right? And by implementing 50-50 gender balance shortlists, 50-50 interview panels, you know, 50-50 targets, you are setting yourself up to actually be hiring on merit because because women and men are both as good as each other. (laughs) Um, Now, you and women and other groups are very, very um, for quotas. I've seen quotas work well and I've seen them fail. And where they failed is where they've just hired women to get them into positions that aren't qualified. And essentially you're setting that woman up to fail. It's not fair on her and it's not fair on the team and it's not fair on the cause. Um, I definitely like the idea of targets and the male champions of change, you know, sort of quoted the targets with teeth uh, terminology which is a bit more sort of like quotas where there is some sort of carrot or stick you know around that target um, but at a minimum definitely targets should be there um, and aspirational targets as well so set your goals high and try and mm-hmm. try and do it but the target needs to be put in place based on data so you're looking at okay how many people do we have in the company what's the gender split of those people how many hires do we make per year and you know, looking at all of those things and then working out what the target will be after that. You can't just go from like 17% to 50% tomorrow. But BHP have sent a very, very ambitious target. So they've said 50-50 men and women by twenty They're at 17% at the moment. And they've got like tens of thousands of people working there. So that's huge.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Do you know how they're... what? they're looking at doing. You can't create, you know, however many new positions to meet the that target. I don't know. I mean it is a
1: growing industry, but
0: um they're looking at things like they've recognized that there
1: aren't many women in mining at the moment. So they're looking at things like transferable skill sets and they're being very open with women and saying You do not need mining experience to come and work with us. We can teach you that part. You know, what we're looking for is, you know, these finance skills, these IT skills, these, you know, operational skills, whatever they might be, and the rest will teach you. So looking across industry, they're doing lots of different events and things like that, really sort of changing their policies and being more supportive, supporting different groups, like women in mining groups and things like that, and obviously working with DCC as well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you've touched on a few times about some of the kind of recruitment strategies people have got. What are some of the other strategies you, you've you seen companies do to, to remove or, you know, reduce the impacts of unconscious bias in recruitment? I know there's blind CVs and yeah. what, are, what are the ones that you've seen and what are the kind of most effective ones for organisations?
1: Yeah, so, well, the blind CVs has been really interesting. So one of the federal government agencies, departments, did a test with the blind CVs where they actually, yeah, they took the name off and they found that they got a massive increase of women into interview stage with the hiring managers by taking off their name. Um, I've forgotten the percentage, but it was just crazy to look at and of course there's the Howard vs. Heidi example mm. so looking at the Howard CV and looking at the Heidi CV exactly the same CVs when Howard was judged they said he was ambitious they really wanted to work with him and then with Heidi's which was the exact same CV and um, they said oh she's really selfish and we don't want to work with her oh. <laughs> I know <laughs> it's like... there's also um with recruitment teams using things like gender-neutral language in their job advertisements, That is very interesting. There's some software called Textio. You can actually copy and paste your job ad into there, and it will highlight masculine words, feminine words, gender-neutral words, too many dot points, not enough dot points, and uh, tell you which way it's slang, and then give you suggestions to change that language. So, for instance, men will be more attractive to words like uh, determined and leadership and strong, whereas women are more attracted to things like collaborative and team and nurturing. And there's been scientific studies to show this. The other thing is recruitment teams not making sure they put too many dot points or requirements into their job ads. So research is also showing that women will only apply to a role if they think they meet 100% of the criteria, whereas men will apply if they think they just 60 so they're more likely to give it a crack so to speak if they're not quite ready the other thing is research has also shown that men are promoted based on potential whereas women are promoted based on experience So it's really identifying and training the management teams
0: around those things as well. Yeah, and that kind of raises an interesting area of the the stereotyping of women. I mean, you've kind of mentioned, uh, you know, this idea of women being collaborative and nurturing, and and that appeals to us when we're looking for job adverts, but also, um, to a certain extent, can put us in a box, put us in in positions where those traits are maybe favoured unconsciously. You know, you want someone who's a a people person, I guess, whereas in leadership positions, you know, as you said, determined and strong and things tend to be very masculine qualities. So how, this is going to be a very big question, but how, no. do, how do we address that kind of stereotyping? I don't like this idea of kind of putting it on women to, to remove those stereotypes. So what can organisations do? What does that... Who's responsible for those stereotypes? Absolutely
1: everyone is responsible. Organisations are responsible. Leaders are responsible. Individuals, we've got to start at grassroots, we've got to start at the top. Everybody needs to be involved in this. It's not a women's issue, it's everybody's issue and organisation absolutely has to be responsible for doing this. Um, I I heard a wonderful talk by Kylie Sprott yesterday and she was saying all about when she was progressing in her career, her husband was actually the stay-at-home dad. And all of the challenges that came along with breaking that gender stereotype and even the things like the mums at the school didn't want their kids to go over and play with her kids because it was a stay-at-home dad and it was something they hadn't been used to before. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and that's um, that idea was uh, raised in um, Annabelle Crabb's book, The Wife Drought. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't read it yet, but it... I've been. I need to. Yeah, really good. But that idea that that it's it's okay and it should be okay for men to be in that supportive role of of women, and it's still. I mean, I've I've, I've obviously got a lot of young male professional friends, and they still, it's not really on their their radar as an option. No. It's you know, it's kind of taken for granted that you know their their partners will take them maternity leave and um and again it's that issue where they're not they're not doing it consciously you know these are these are nice guys they just are not aware of that they've still got that expectation of bringing home the bacon and you know Mm -hmm. being masculine to be in that role so definitely you know rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing you know if you get these diversity issues sorted it benefits men as well
1: that's absolutely right, and I think that Australia and other countries really need to look to those Nordic countries like Iceland and things like that, who have been doing gender neutral parental leave for a very long time, and they've got the lowest gender inequality rates in the world. You know, the top five countries um, in terms of gender equality are Nordic countries, and it's an interesting link between that and the gender neutral parental leave.
0: Mm. so that, that's, that's obviously kind of systemic societal issue there mm. then of, of that acceptance of, of men in those roles and kind of reversing the gender roles and it's
1: been driven from government you know okay. government putting in these policies in place and really driving that through and then business sort of takes that on as well
0: and have you been seeing that in the australian market at all is there any kind of is there a, a groundswell of that or no it's just it's just, it's just not a conversation we're, we're having.
1: <laughs> yeah i mean um the workplace gender equality agency does a great job you know in terms of the reporting requirements and things like that they have the citation holders um government seems to be talking about it a lot more and doing these things but i just feel like so much more needs to be done there's a lot of chit chat and not much doing in my opinion
0: well and you see struggles within the political parties the conflict i guess there was around the the labor party implementing quotas for women and mm-hmm. you know the big uh, controversy there was when tony abbott's front benches there was hardly any women and and so it seems like they can't even really get the issue right at, a, at their own party levels let alone advocating for a kind of policy level <laughs> exactly exactly yeah i'm yeah i'm
1: Unfortunately, Australia, yeah, it's a bit
0: disappointing. That's interesting. And, and especially this week with it, you know, being International Women's Day, that's kind of the conversation. And something I've been quite pleased about um, with these podcasts we've been running is is organizations freely admitting how far they've got to go, mm-hmm. you know, saying we're, we're proud of what we've done, but disappointed that we've not gone further. Yes. Um, and that seems to be at a, a kind of cultural level as well. Mm-hmm. So, what are some of the kind of big I guess, next strategies that, that companies can do? Is there an area, you know, we're, we're looking at recruitment, we're looking at flexibility. Um, is there still an area that we're really, you know, not even talking about yet that you've seen in, in recruitment?
1: Um, I think that we, we are talking about a lot of things, which is, which is really good. There are some interesting things that companies are doing to really support women and support gender equality. One of those things is paying superannuation on paid and unpaid parental leave. The reason why this is important is because women retire with a lot less super because of time taken out to have children and things like that. Women live longer than men and therefore there are a lot more women living in poverty and older age, which is, which is very worrying. So companies like Australian Super, CBA, CBUS, even when a woman's on unpaid parental leave, they're paying superannuation payments still, which is absolutely amazing. So there are some really innovative strategies like that happening.
0: Yeah, well, an interesting issue that I hadn't even kind of considered, it's not something I've really seen discussed in the media too much, so... no, it's really good to see, and because
1: it's not actually a legal requirement for super to be paid on paid or unpaid parental leave.
0: Cool, so that really comes down to the organisation's kind of choices. Alright, um, so we kind of talked a little bit about stereotyping, um, um, so the majority of graduates that are coming out of universities and into graduate programs are, are female, but that's just not filtering down, so there's obviously somewhere along the process that we're we're losing skilled women, um, so what are some of the, the things that organisations can do to remove the hurdles to career advancement for women? Yeah, so there is a
1: huge drop-off after women have children, you know, to them actually going back into their career, and not only going back into the workforce, but also going back into the workforce... And- and then sometimes you see so many of these amazing women being put into positions that are much lower than them because the company is just not supportive. Mm-hmm. And that absolutely does not need to happen. I mean, we see organisations supporting these women there's a story on our site actually her name's Nadia she works for ACOM she's got four children I think she's pregnant she's working she's managing two different business units and working four days a week she's doing all of that and ACOM is supporting her to be able to do that Um, you know and it's by allowing flexibility by providing return to work programs and things like that Um, obviously targets as well and proactively identifying women and having that management and succession planning really well within the organisation organization, different leadership programs as well. Um, my sister works at CBA and she's just been on this absolutely fantastic leadership program They've assigned her a mentor and she's really stepping up and they do lots of things like profiling female women within their company and sharing those stories throughout to prove as inspiration, you know, mm-hmm. to others So, um, But I think that drop-off tends to come around the parental leave and there's a lot of talk as well around senior women and confidence and they lack confidence and getting in those roles What I found Talking to senior women, it's not confidence level of I can't do the job or you know, I don't have the technical capability. It's confidence is in I don't know if the organisation is going to support me when I've got all of these caring responsibilities and to do my job at the same time. Mm. Um, so but there are organisations that are doing it, so it's really no
0: excuse. Yeah, and doing it in really innovative ways. We were talking to Louise from McCulloch-Robinson, and she was was saying about their concierge program, which they've rolled out, and that just fascinated me. So this program is, you know, for our listeners who don't know, is uh, where they have a a kind of outside service provider who can arrange for, you know, dry cleaning or cleaners or, you know, school pickups, you know, anything that these women need to support them during particularly busy times. And that that just made so much sense to me. I thought that was a really innovative way of of supporting women and and recognizing that sometimes work will come first and sometimes home will come first and supporting women you know at the end of the day making sure that as long as they're achieving their their targets and and contributing to the work um, that they do that's fine that should be accepted that's
1: right and I think what organizations will very quickly find is that mothers are a lot more productive because they know how busy they are. They need to get that work done,
0: you know, to, yeah. to be able to
1: achieve everything. I mean, that's that's what I've certainly seen within organizations. Yeah, and
0: I've definitely heard that women coming back from maternity leave, you know, fit as much as they used to do in a five day week in a three and a half <laughs> or four day week, you know, they just are on for the whole time they're in work. So there's nothing quite like a driven mother.
1: Oh, that's exactly right. <laughs>
0: (laughs) That's great. Um, So you kind of touched on earlier the idea of uh, inclusiveness in um, organisations. What are some of the strategies that you found are really effective for improving inclusiveness, not not just diversity? Yeah, again, coming
1: down to that training piece and that unconscious bias of just making people aware and calling out behaviours as you see it. So organisations really making sure that they're teaching their managers to be governing that properly during the meetings and everything like that. And it's about understanding your team as well, because you've got extroverts and introverts and if you're in a meeting, those extroverts, they're gonna be talking, they're gonna be putting stuff out there and those introverts, you know, might not say stuff. That's not very inclusive. So you need to make sure that you, you know, maybe it's before the meeting you actually send out, this is what we're gonna discuss. If you wanna add anything to this or you have anything to say, please feel free to email it to me or you can bring it up in the meeting. That's really inclusive. You're giving those introverts and those extroverts and an opportunity to both sort of voice it however they wanna voice it. Also things like, I've seen Lunch and Learns, there's an IT company, they have two transgender people working at their organisation, and they had a Lunch and Learn where these two um, trans people sort of came out and told everyone about their journey and their experiences, what it was like to be them, and the response was absolutely amazing, and it gave other people an opportunity to sort of ask some questions and clear up anything, but just being really, really open about it and celebrating that difference.
0: Great. I think, yeah, with that kind of forum for, for just let's get it out, let's talk about it. That's, yeah. that's great.
1: And even things like having prayer rooms in your building, I mean, that is sending a message. Like, we accept you, everybody is welcome. So there's little messages that you can do.
0: Great. Where can people kind of find you in Diversity Careers? Where, where would you where would you send them to learn more about? So we're everywhere. <laughs>
1: Our website is www.diverse.com citycareers.com that's three words and we're big on linkedin facebook twitter
0: instagram i'd urge people to come along to your events as well i think they're um, (laughs) it's great to keep the conversation going at those kind of things yeah absolutely and please feel free to connect with me personally as well great well thank you so much for joining me today Gemma. thank you (laughs) that wraps it up for our podcast this week. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did listening to Gemma's experiences in tech and IT and and her firsthand experience of really male-dominated industries and companies and how that really inspired her to create diversity careers and really create a job board that's focused on workplaces that are female-friendly. I thought she gave some great insights into the different roles that individuals can play, you know, whether it's managers, the senior leadership team, HR managers and diversity and inclusion managers, and then also the role that individuals can play in terms of standing up for their own rights and their own advancement in workplaces. I think that's a really great lesson to take away, that it's really everybody's responsibility to push diversity issues. I also thought she gave some great examples of what programs and initiative companies are currently doing or trying can be so hard for companies who are keen to improve their workplaces for for female and other diversity groups, but who don't know where to start, what issues they should focus on, what kind of initiatives they can implement. So it's great to hear what other companies are doing, you know, successfully or unsuccessfully and, and really using that to continue the conversation around our diversity and inclusion in Australia. Thanks again for listening. Links to anything that we've talked about or referred to in the podcast will be on our website, www.muelesslegal.com. Please also like and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Just search Mueless Legal. Don't forget to tune in next week when we'll be speaking with Sabrina Husami about her experiences of diversity in Australia, both in her professional life and her personal life.